Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
Okay. No, no, you're <laughs> I thought you. I thought you were going. Did you sneeze? God bless you. I don't know something happened. But Thank anyway, you, I did. <laughs> okay. So, um, what we're trying to get across to people is, if you come from a home that is not functional, if it's a poor home where it's not functional, where parents don't care, maybe they're into drugs, alcohol. Um, or whatever they're into, a lot of domestic violence, then your children that are inside of that home, they're witnessing this, okay? And through witnessing all the things that we see inside of the home, it helps form the type of person that we become. And, And this is unfortunate. But unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with even just today, okay, today. And when I was growing up, it was the same thing, because let me tell you something, trauma is trauma. And uh, they have, and I'm going to mention this one time, I do it once in a while, and they use, and Michelle, by the way, was in the military, but they use this as an example to explain what I just said. Um, If a child is standing with a soldier and they're watching war, it's a terrible thing, the horrific things that you see as a child or as a soldier in war. And if the soldier's buddy, okay, all of a sudden gets blown away, um, what happens to that soldier is he goes through terrible PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. If a child is at home and the people that you look up to for guidance, for love, um, to teach you how, you know, what's right, what's wrong, and, and to help you guide you along the way so you can become a good citizen and, and be a person, you know, who feels they are worth and, and value. If they're beating each other up, the parents are beating each other up, and the child actually witnesses, say, maybe a fatality. I have stats on that, too, how many do that a year. Um, if a child witnesses that, then what happens is that child is going to suffer lifelong problems. And that, of course, would be in the post-traumatic stress disorder category. And it's it's a damn shame is what it is. It absolutely is a damn shame because um, then what happens is the kids, as they're growing up, um, the mm-hmm. violence breeds, it breeds violence, and they take that violence out on the street. And then people say, well, look at that, that terrible child. Look at, that, look at how that child's behaving. Don't look at the child. You know, look at him, but go to the home. See where they come from. Because chances are inside of that home, 90 I'm going to say 95% of the time because it has to be that high. Um, children are coming from a volatile type of background. And, again, that's what helps form them, okay, is what they see. And helps them become who they are. What do you think about that? What do you think about that, Michelle? I mean, um, I totally agree with that. I mean, our, our, our children, they mimic what they see and hear. And especially when it comes to their peers. So they're going to respond and act on what they see and hear. If they are being abused, well, we already know about that. When we when we were abused, we shut down. Um, some and then in some cases, some children will cut themselves or hurt themselves. You know, pee on themselves. You know, 
a lot of us, you know, like when they went to bed, some people say, well, they got to grow out of it, but you got to really look at that because cause, cause wedding bed is a sign uh, 90% of the time of a child that is being abused, you know. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. I, I knew of a, a young boy who continued to urinate in his bed until the age of 12, okay? And um, I, it was actually my daughter's friend and, and um, her brother that was doing this. I, I couldn't understand how a kid could, you know, urinate in their bed until the age of 12. I mean, to me, it was just horrible. And you, you hear horrible yeah. stories. Yeah. And you hear horrible stories where the mother, instead of trying to figure out what the heck's wrong with the kid, she'll humiliate the kid, right, <laughs> and, and take the sheet outside so that everybody can see, okay? Everybody can see. She'll hang it on a tree or if she has a clothesline outside, whatever, she'll, you know, put it over the clothesline. And uh, and that way, the kid, you know, his urinated sheet is out there, and the kids, they start laughing and making more fun of him. This kid does not want to mm. urinate in the bed. There's a problem going on. So what we have tonight Absolutely. here, I just want to, what I want to say here tonight is we do have Lori Purcell. Um, I have Michelle. Both of them are my co-hosts, okay? And I have also Philip. So we have enough, certainly, to have a good show here. And what I did do is uh, I downloaded uh, Children and Domestic Violence Statistics, and that's from the rcdvpc.org. Okay, that's rcdv as in Victor, pc.org. Why did I do that? Because our kids are off the wall today. Um, I don't know if any of you guys watch TV like I do with the news, but you turn on channels, it doesn't matter what state it's in anymore in our country. All the, the gun battles, all the knifings, all the things that are happening in you know, schools out now, but just on the streets, um, all these things, all these fights. Um, yesterday there, there was uh, little children being um, shot. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the weapon is. They use all different kinds of weapons. It's really weird what's going on out there. They use baseball bats. <laughs> Somebody was walking down the street and she got bopped in the head with a baseball bat, a metal one. And um, and, mm. and children were actually getting shot. Now, this is somewhere in the mid-country. I'm not too sure because I watched so much of it. So, anyway, it doesn't matter if you're in an urban area, area you know, like New York City, or, or where, wherever, in San Francisco, it doesn't matter where you are. Because I think what's happening is our world is so, so filled with stress, okay, that people don't know how to handle it. Kids don't know how to handle it. Things are going on in the house that shouldn't be going on, a lot of fighting and all this other stuff. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of problems with, you know, with the economy and people are having problems with, the, you know, getting food on the table, proper food. And there's just too much trouble. And, uh, boy, oh, boy, our country is falling apart because of it. I wish you guys come on with something sunny and happy. I mean, I could sing a song if you want. <laughs> but, you know, the uh, truth of the matter. <laughs> well, we could all do that, right? But the truth of the matter is, uh, is what's happening out there is what's happening. Now, Michelle... You're the guest tonight, but what I, I like to um, do is bounce back and forth, and of course with Lori and Philip too. Um, 
the health organization, this is from November 29th, 2022, so this is, this is current. Um, they, they say it's an estimated up to a billion children aged 2 to 17 years old have been exposed to physical, sexual, or emotional violence in the past year. Now, this is the world, okay? They're not talking about the United States, just the United They're talking about the world. And they've come mm. up with these stats, okay? So when they talk about a billion children, they're speaking in a global sense. And from ages 2 to 17 years old have been exposed to physical, sexual, or emotional violence in the past year. Mm. That is horrific. That's horrific. It is. And, yeah, you know, it, it, it's hard for us to even fathom that, to think of a billion kids. But that's exactly what it says. It says, um, violence against children has lifelong impacts on the health and well-being of children, families, communities, and nations. It can result in death. Well, that's what we're talking about. The kids out on the street with the knives, the guns, it doesn't matter what the weapon is. You use it right, and it can kill people, right? It can. And, you know, this is what's happening, and uh, uh, which often involves weapons, yes. And it leads to either severe injuries because of physical, you know, fighting and assault, or it can lead to death. Now, one thing we have to remember, okay, look, I was, I was brought up around guns all my life. I'm going to be honest about it. And um, when they moved out from New York, everybody was born in New York, okay, except for on my mother's side, but on my so-called father's side, everybody was in New York, it's myself included. But when they moved out to um, New Jersey, I'm smirking while I'm saying this, they all turned into hunters, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we had guns everywhere, Michelle, guns everywhere, living room, dining room, doesn't matter, they had a mansion. They had so many rooms in that house. And they were everywhere because they had deer heads everywhere. Okay, so I guess they did pretty good. Not once did I ever want to pick up a gun and shoot somebody because I was taught at a very early age that guns have a purpose for two things. Number one, to shoot deer. That was the thing that they were trying to do. And number two, mm-hmm. yes, of course, for self-defense. I believe in self-defense. All right? If someone comes after me, yeah. If someone comes after me, I'm going to defend myself because I wasn't put on this earth to be totally abused in every single way, including that, okay? Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely believe in that. And, you know, I mentioned this the other night. I'm going to mention it again. There were a whole bunch of alcoholics on that side of the family. And and uh, mm. they get into fist fights, Michelle, fist fights. And they had guns all around them. Not one mm. picked up the gun. Okay. They did fist fights like uh, like in the 30s. If you go back to those old movies, <laughs> you know, you see them doing fist fights out in the street. Well, that's what they were doing. All right. And um, sure, blood was flying and all this other stuff. But... The gun was not being used. No one pulled the trigger on that gun. It depends on the individual. It depends on what their state of mind is, their mental health. Now, that's Mm -hmm. the truth. 
their mental health. So I don't know where you've been lately, and I don't know if there's something you want to talk about, because I have so much more to talk about here. But I want to know if you've been uh, ministering to people, because I know that's what you do. I want to talk a little bit about what Michelle does, because she does a whole bunch when she's out there. So I will mention that. She is um, from Cincinnati. She's a survivor of severe child abuse, who is now a minister and a chaplain. And she comes on the first Thursday of each month. And she has a book. It's called Out of the Darkness, Michelle's Story, The Story of Redemption. And in 1997, Michelle writes that she was introduced to the Lord and denounced Satan, thus beginning the process of giving her life to God. Now, I know Michelle's past, okay? And it was just as rough as everyone on this panel. Maybe a little bit rougher than a lot of people. She is on a mission to bring as many souls as she can to God. Her first-hand knowledge of how life can and be plummeted to the depths of despair enables her to understand and, and relate to what others are facing as they struggle to find God in their lives. Now, what we do here when someone like Michelle comes on, um, who is a minister, she is a counselor. Um, she does a lot of things. She, she does work in um, shelters and so forth with people. Now, I want to remind everyone that as you're growing up, many times people who are in shelters, okay, are homeless, yes, but they came from backgrounds like we right here on NASCA, um, those people who haven't been homeless, okay, but all of a sudden can become homeless. When a woman leaves a situation that's very volatile, maybe she doesn't have any money and she doesn't have anybody to help her, okay, so she'll end up going into a shelter. Michelle, tell us a little bit about those shelters. Well, the, um, I go into um, women who are survivors. Uh, I mean, excuse me, not survivors, but uh, victims of domestic violence. Um, I go to... Um, for them, I go to safe houses. These women that I deal with, um, they're being hidden because of the violence of their partner or spouse um, where they almost got killed and, th- and that their life is in danger. So I deal, you know, I deal with more so with the safe houses than the regular shelters for women. Um, that you know they have regular shelters for women in domestic violence, but they are like um, it's not high risk. Like their life is in danger. I do them mm-hmm. sometimes, but I do the majority mm-hmm. of the of the safe houses that we are keeping these women safe from their partners who's trying to literally murder them. You know, kill them. Yeah. Um, I also go to. Um, a shelter for children who have been sexually abused, you know, or raped. Um, and I also go to shelters for women who have been in human trafficking. Right. And um, matter of fact, I just came in from from uh, ministry like 10 minutes before the show started. I supposed to have been home hours ago. 
but I got called, and I told them that I needed to get back home. I needed to uh, be on my radio show because I wasn't there last month, and I definitely didn't want to miss it this month. Mm-hmm. Um, when I sit in these places to minister, especially, can you talk a little bit about the women in domestic violence? It, it is so heartbreaking, you know, um, because these women are absolutely just beaten down. Their self-esteem is so low, and and they're so battered. You know, they have absolutely been programmed to believe that they are just absolutely worthless and that no one will want them or love them like the person that they were attached to, who they were in a relationship with. Um, And when I sit with them, some of them it's like they still, you know, I'm still working on a few who... They they, they they got afraid of their partner because their partner almost killed them. So now they're in a safe place. But it's like you can't convince them that no one's going to want them but the person they was with. And maybe they should just, you know, if they can just talk to them, you know, they, this one lady, like there's phones there. And they can't get tracked. We found out, Trace, I mean, we found out that one uh, one lady was literally interacting and conversating with uh, her husband. <coughs> Excuse me. Once that was found out, we had to remove her from the, from the safe house. She said that she didn't give her husband any information, but the way she was talking, I I feel like she was just an easy target from her husband to get information out of. Because you know how they would beat you and they would say, I'm so sorry, I love you, I won't do anymore. And Good. she kept saying, well, he's sorry for what he's done. And so the uh, panel at the safe house, we all came to the decision we had to move her. Now, we had to remove her from there. And I'm not saying that we put her out. That's not going to happen. We just moved her to another safe house out of the state. So there are safe houses for domestic violent women or, or correction, women that have been uh, violated. We got state, in, in every state there is safe houses. So um, where we sent her to, was one that were more stricter, um, and literally she's not even able, you know, if she has to make calls or need to talk to someone, they'll make that call with her, and they're sitting there with her or sitting there with her monitoring to make sure that she's not giving out any information. And the reason why people got to understand, the reason why they're so strict on that, because, um, and I'm sure y'all have seen it on the news or they have literally had movies that were created through Lifetime about women mm-hmm. in domestic violence, and they would the, the, the man was to do them back. Like I, I didn't mean to hurt you, and and then you know, and then she said, "Well, I'm not supposed to be talking to you." And he said, "Well, I'm not going to bother you, but can you just call tomorrow?" And then they'll keep talking, and he's wooing her, 
Then the next step of the of what the uh, the perpetrators would do is, you know, would do you know do y'all go out or you know uh, get to you know go out after a while when 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 a woman come into a safe house, there's no coming out for a long time. Finally, I would say after a few months, um, you know, get her prepared for the workforce so she can earn her own income. Because people got to understand. When a man beats his wife like that, he takes away the finances. Some men will still have their wives work, but they take the paycheck. So a woman or wife, she has no idea how to have money and save money or do anything like that. So we work on getting them in the workforce. Well, to go back to what I was originally saying, she uh, was going on interviews, and she was sneaking telling him, well, I'm going on this interview, and I only got, like, uh, you know, I can get done early where I'll have a half an hour, and we can talk again. So she was meeting her husband. And after doing that for a few weeks, she made a decision to leave, and we really tried our best to talk her out of it, but there was no convincing her. Well, within two days being gone, he mur- he killed her. So... Then another incident was, uh, and this happened several times, years and years ago, and that's why they're so strict now for safe houses. She ended up giving information, or she was seeing him, and he followed her back. And one day, when she came out the door, um, what, and she didn't tell anybody that she told her husband where she was, and I guess, you know, after seeing him and then she made a decision that she wasn't going to go back, well, he waited for her to come out and he he killed her. He knew where the safe house was, so they had to shut it down and moved the safe house. So, I mean, that's how serious it is. So, you know, things like that. Now, in human trafficking, you would think that would be more easier to deal with, but it's actually harder. These women that's in human trafficking – are absolutely brainwashed. They they have been beaten so bad. They have been beaten to submission, which is the same as women in domestic violence. Um, but they put fear in them, which that is happening also with women in domestic violence. Um, it's like trying to help them learn how to how to live. They don't know how to do that. You talking about a woman in human trafficking that was locked in a room in the house and between thirty to fifty men a day come in and have sex with her and do whatever they want to do. So they have no self esteem. Um and they end up contacting um their captive. It sounds crazy but it does. And one that was that's really dangerous because when the captive will find out where they are, you think they're just gonna come and just take that person? They're gonna come and and and, and stake out the place to 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 look at other women that are coming in and out of the the uh, shelter where the women who are were in human trafficking and take them too. So. Uh, the the um 
the women at these at these shelters for for human trafficking, it used to just be a regular shelter, but it's it's not happening all over the United States yet. But they're getting there where we can make these shelters now safe houses too, because their lives are as much as in danger as a woman that's in domestic violence. That's right. From her spouse exactly or partner. Right. That's exactly right. And that's why I wanted to touch on that. Um, because, okay, I've been in shelters. I've, I've worked with them, women from shelters and all this other stuff. And you see, we one thing about I want to get it clear, too, and then I want to go to Lori and Philip. But because um, I, I know they have questions. But anyway, one thing people have to understand, there are rules and regulations, okay, when you go into shelters or safe houses. Um, shelters don't have, they're not quite as uh, severe as for the, the rules and regulations, or strict, I should say. Um, whereas not, in safe not, houses, not safe house. yeah. no, no, they're not. And, and um, I, I was working in a safe house, but for kids, not for uh, women who were being abused. Mm-hmm. So I understand this. So anyway, um, and it was right in, in a town that I was very familiar with, and you would not know that it was a safe house. Now, these kids would come in, and they had escaped from family units where they were Correct. teenagers. Yes. And and what would happen is they would get into, you know, these safe houses, and you can't use your cell phone because you, they, they don't want you talking to people right away. And, you see, people have to understand they're not in charge because when you put yourself in the hands of a person or people, who work in safe houses, these people are out to help you, to save your life, to help you start over again, to get you away from the toxic people that brought you to the point from where you are at that moment. So, well, Carol, you know, let, me, let me add this yeah, real go quick. Ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I won't forget, when you mentioned the phones, um, mm-hmm. here in the, in, in the state of Ohio, if you come, if if we if you seek help and we and we rescue you, first of all, you're not allowed to have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. You can't if you got a cell phone, your cell phone would be taken and unplugged and mm-hmm. taken apart because it could be traced. You got to understand, right. like these perpetrators with the wives, they have such a hold on them. You can't. You know how many bugs we found in a cell phone, a tracer. And, and as far as human trafficking, um, they no, you know, once we take search you and we will search you, uh, any cell phones, tablets, anything, anything of that sort will be removed, taken apart, and put up. So, you know, and then when you get your life together or when it's time for you to ease your way out of the safe house, you get your belongings back. That's not that's not allowed. You are allowed to That's use right. a phone, but you'll be using our office phone, and it would be someone right. sitting there with you. <laughs> Why right, you, exactly. You know, we'll dial the number who you want to talk to, you know. So That's exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I, I, we used to do that in, in the safe house. Um, and uh, and you that's know, in the safe house. Yeah, we were there. Shelter. Right. Yeah. We were and, there. In a regular and, shelter, and, you are allowed to have your, you know, you can have whatever. But in a safe house, you can't have any type of electronics. That's exactly right. That's, and that's, that's what that's I want people to hear. Mm-hmm. Sure. Let, let, let me say something there. 
let, let me, and there's a reason for this. See, I want people mm-hmm. to realize the difference between the shelter and the safe house. And, um, mm-hmm. But also, too, a lot of people, they play games because, like you were saying before, Michelle, um, when they are able to contact, say, the abuser or the abuser, you know, they, they talk and, and they schmooze them, um, they groom them, and, and they get them to, to leave the shelter. And before you know it, they're right back in the same places where they were because he's not going to change, all right? The abuser is not going to change. So I think that it's a good thing with some of the shelters that I know of um, if they do take the cell phone for at least two weeks. And in that time, they're having intense therapy. All right, they, the counselors speak to them, and they tell them why, you know, they have to change their life. And, and two weeks isn't long enough to help a person change their life, but at least put it before them and uh, give them hope. Let them realize that if they do leave a situation where they're being abused, that there is help for them and there is hope, and they will be able to become who they're supposed to be in time. And uh, you get them involved in all different other organizations too, whatever can help them to become a whole person. Because like you said earlier, they are stripped emotionally, physically, mentally, psychologically, and every way that they can be, all right, they are stripped and this is by um, their abuser, who can be a narcissist. He can also be a sociopath with being a narcissist. We found that out. So uh, then you're really in trouble. And the only word that's written out after that is run. In other words, don't walk away from that dude. Run, okay? And I want to make mm-hmm. it clear, too, that it, it can also be a female. I lived across the street from that in Red Bank. This lady um, mm. would beat her family up. <laughs> she did. And, and the husband would sleep out in the car. Mm. And, and oh, it, it, was, it was revolting. And they were just renting that house. And they were getting thrown off of every street that they went on to, to live because of their behavior. And how did the kids turn out, Michelle? They turned out to be little monsters on the street. They beat my kids up. They beat everybody's kids up. Because this is what they were used to inside of their own home, and they were so filled with anger and hatred. And, and these are little kids that end up doing adult crimes who do end up in juvie, the certain type like I worked with, with the police. Or, and then later on, if they don't get their help where that's needed, they end up in prison. And I spoke about that last week. The prison people, you know, the, the, uh, the stats on that are very high that they came from backgrounds, just like what we're talking about. And and that's why it's like a vicious circle, a vicious cycle with the abuse and the violence and all this other stuff that we're watching, whether it be on TV or whether we live in an urban area or whatever it might be. And how do you break the chain? You can do it one at a time, but it takes a long time. And quite frankly, right now, we don't have a long time, the way that things are going with all this violence. You can't even walk down the street. You might get hit. Uh, a lady, you know, in her 60s, I think it was, got hit in the ba- uh, by a baseball bat a couple of days ago, um, and she almost died. And, and uh, <laughs> the guy wanted a purse, and, um, you know, they're all clothed up. You can't tell what they look like or anything, all right? They're getting smarter in the sense that they, they are clothed. You can't see their face. They have, a, like, a hoodie on and all this other stuff, but you can't see their face. Even if it's 90 out, they don't care. They're on a mission, and their mission is to beat people up and get what they can, get their purses if it's a woman, um, and, you know, whatever. 
and it's a terrible thing. Let me let me go to Lori, and then we'll go to Philip and see if they have something to say about all this. And I think it's um, like <laughs> out of this world what you're doing. Totally out of this world. Um, can't thank you enough. Um, brave lady you are. Brave, strong, you got it all. Uh, I'm always glad when you come on. I love listening to you. I have a question. Thank um, in any other area, emotional abuse does have the same effects on the inner soul, but it can't be seen. Is there any place that has like a some kind of, I don't know, uh, just an out for somebody who's being emotionally abused? Uh, well, first of all, I want you to understand that Abuse is abuse, whether it's mental, emotionally, physically, or sexually. We have women in shelters that have only been, that have not been physically hit, but was emotionally, they were broke down. It was, it's just the same. So yes, they, yes, to your, to your question, absolutely. And what about medical? Absolutely. What if the person? I'm sorry. What if the person comes with medical problems from the abuse? Oh, no, 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 honey. If you have any medical issues, we have, you will be taken care of. We have doctors. I mean, you got, we, we got these, we got, at the hospitals, there are doctors and nurses that um, give of their time to make sure that the women that we shelter are being medically treated where they don't have to worry about bills or anything like that. See, the way things are set up now, um, any woman in any city or state, if you are being abused, uh, you call the hotline or you can call uh, any hospital and ask for and just say that you are being abused and and you need someone to talk to, they will send you right to the social worker's office, which that, that they are aware of, and she will... Uh, connect you with women helping women, or she will persuade you to if she can get you to the hospital. They'll even pay for the cab. So, what she, what the social worker would do was, what like you know, we had a woman that called. I'm giving an example. We had a woman that called, and she was scared. She was crying. The social worker had empathy. She was trying to you know she would call like every other day you know, but we would talk. They kept talking to her, and then. They was letting her, you know, once that social worker found out about her husband's hours and, you know, when he worked and, and you know, her shift, because he had her so brainwashed, you know, he just knew she wasn't going to go anywhere. Well, he beat her up real bad, and he went to work, and he worked the night shift. And that's when the social worker, she just called crying, and the social worker was like, why don't you, why don't you give me the address where we can send a cab? She was scared. She said, why don't you just leave? Just tell me the street you're on, and we'll and and we'll have a cab there to pick you up. And one day she just kept calling whenever he beat her up or whatever, and she went ahead and left. And she went down the road, went to an opposite street, called back at the hospital to the social worker, and the social worker got someone out there to get her and brought her right to the hospital. And when she got there. We had a woman, woman representative there to to take her to a safe house. You see what I'm saying? So that's pretty amazing. 
That's pretty if, amazing. If you know anyone, you got, and I'm talking to you guys, if you know of anyone that's being abused, you know, you know this resource. They can call Women Helping Women. It's a hotline, and it's the 800 number. It will hit any city or state. They'll get someone to talk to you. Or you can go to your local hospital, and if they are scared to leave and, and they don't want to do that, then at least tell them to call the social worker office at the hospital. That you know, is or, really or, so hard. You know, it's like you offer help. It's out there. You're doing it. You've got every base covered um, that, you know, a person could need. I mean, there's absolutely nothing stopping someone from getting to you. And but I understand this. I understand this, though. When I listen to these women and, and you know, and it's like, come on, you can do it, you can get away, and they don't want to, you know why I cry and have compassion for them? Because I used to be them. See, if you ain't ever been beaten by a man and programmed and brainwashed, and this is when I was broken and low self-esteem, unloved, I did exactly what he said, and I was scared. That fear, that that fear is, that fear is real to these women, you know. Um, and because I was in their shoes, you know, and of course we're talking about back in the eighties. It took a long time for me to get away. But when he busted, when he broke my eyeball, at least that's how it felt, it was shut down, swollen, like a base, like a baseball was sitting out of my eye. My nose was broken. My, and then I didn't even know my jaw was broken. It had to be wired. And I just kept crying, and, I, and it was a lot of blood. And I was like, I can't take this. I, it was hard to talk. And, and I told a lady... I said, look, I'm a walk. I can't take this no more. I'm walking now. I was so scared. I felt like what I looked in the mirror and saw how bad I was, and I knew that I had broken ribs and a broken jaw. I knew it because it felt like it. And I said, I'm walking now. If he's out here, then I'm just gonna die. She said, the lady. I had my cell phone. She said, just keep walking and tell me what street you on. Well, she didn't even waste time to um, call a cab. She called the the uh, the police. And they and when I saw the police, I was happy, and they took me away from there, and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> so oh it's just hard. You know, just have have compassion for for women, you know, because I mean, I had one lady; she was a volunteer, and she was getting frustrated. And I said, "Have you ever been abused? Have you been married and got beat up on?" She said, "Well, no." I said, "Well, you gotta have patience, or this is not for you. Don't get frustrated with these women because that's." You're going to shut them down more. They're not going to call. Well, that's the one thing we don't want them to do, right? We want them to call back, you know, mm. if we can't get them to do it the first time. But go ahead. I just, I didn't mean to take over. I just got excited before. No, no. <laughs> no Michelle, I have a goal finish. tonight. I have a goal tonight, all right? I have so much information. You know all the research that I do. But I'm I'm interested in um, tonight. I'm really interested in like what you're talking about because women out there and listen again. It can be men too, um, you know that that are bidding. Yes, and people don't seem to understand that, and it's it's important that they do understand that. Otherwise, men don't get the help that they uh, deserve. You know, 
And um, what does it say here? One in seven women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate or an yeah, intimate partner, by the partner, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And, and it says one in ten women have been raped by an intimate partner. And the data is showing that it's available for men, victims. That's coming up soon. Because, you see, men, a lot of times they don't have the same stats because they don't have the same knowledge. But what we're trying to find out here is that uh, men can, too, you know, be victimized by women who are just playing nuts. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah well, and, well, listen. Oh yeah. You know, I want, cool. you know, I want to say this. I experienced mm-hmm. a male victim in a safe house in domestic violence. Brought, brought, brought him in. Well, not me. I got called to come. I drove all the way to Lebanon, Ohio. I got called in the middle of the night. They said, "Can you pack an overnight bag? We need you to be here." I said, "Sure." So when I did the group. I see a man sitting there, but this man was broken, and he had all types of cuts and scratches all over his face, and uh, mm-hmm. he had a big old, well, it was it was bandaged up. It was a patch, like a pad, like a taped around his head, but she had hit him in the head with the hammer, and not with the circle part, but with the two-prong part, and uh, mm-hmm. I I was so curious. I just said to him, uh, oh, and let me correct that. I talked to him before I did the group because I needed to know about him one-on-one before just pointing him out in a group with a bunch of women. And so I said to him, why did you let her, your wife do this? And, and, and he said, well, let me show you a picture of her. So he showed me a picture of his wife. Now, he's five foot seven, thin. Well, his wife was six foot two, oh. <laughs> and a big girl. And I said, "Okay, so you're showing me her. Okay, so she's taller than you, she's bigger than you." He said, "I was taught not to hit women, no matter what. I was raised. My dad never hit my mother." And he said, "And I'm the oldest out of ten." And he started crying. You know, he grew up in a good, loving family. He just, and he never thought that he would be in anything like that. And I'm like, how long have you been married to her? He said, I've been married to her for like 12 years, but she started beating on me in the past two years. And he said, I had enough. When she hit me with that hammer, that was it. She normally would like to scratch me or push me or pick me up and throw me against the wall, but never use a weapon. And, she, and he said the hammer did it. And I was like, wow, she's lucky. He said, what do you mean? I said, because, honey, if she, uh, the uh, the men that I know, because he wasn't even from Ohio. He was sent, he was flown in. So uh, she wouldn't have got away from that here. Hmm. Not, not from the men here. They would not have accepted that. But my heart, the point I'm bringing up about him is, the, when we came into the group, all the women saw him. A lot of them jumped up. They got scared. What is he doing here? Because, you know, this is a safe house. I say he's a victim, too. That's right. So I need for everybody to sit down yep. and y'all hear his story. And so a lot of them kept saying, why didn't you fire her back? And why didn't you do this? And I said, excuse me, I, I, I believe he can ask you the same question. 
Why didn't you fight him back? He's afraid just like you are afraid. He was really being victimized and abused by his wife. And his and his self-esteem was so low, he was broken. He had the same attributes as the women that I was ministering to. And when I look back at me being a survivor of domestic violence, and I'm a survivor of domestic violence more than once. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. go ahead. Me too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that that's so important because, you see, if there's men listening, I want them to understand, too, that, you know, there is help for them. I do know, I'm going to get to Philip in just one second, I want to say this. I do know that there is one place that's opened up, and I'm going to look into it, because they should be, um, they just built it, okay? Mm-hmm. And I know it's on the shore somewhere. I don't know where. It's a place that I'd like to go, I think. But anyway, um, it's just for men, and they have been brutalized. So I'm going to look into that and, and see if I can get them on the show, because that was almost a year ago, and they've had plenty of time to get themselves together. So I'm going to look and oh, see if I can great, find girl. it. Yeah, that would be great. Because it's not just a girl thing. Now, now, Philip, do you, do you have um, do you have something you'd like to ask or, or make a comment about? Nope. I think he just dropped off. He doesn't want to hear it. Is he still there? <laughs> oh, that's no, okay. he dropped off. It's okay. You never know what he's going to do. But anyway, okay, mm. so. Um, that's all right. But you see, that that's the point. We have to, you know, get it across to people. Um, we have to get it across to people that there is help out there. But they, too, have to be responsible, Michelle. I mean, how many times have we spoken about certain people, you know, to get them into a safe house, and then they, they chicken mm-hmm. out or they just change their mind? And uh, then you put forth, you and your organizations, you put forth all of this um you know, you try so hard to get it together so that they can get the help that they need, and you put a lot of effort into it, a lot of effort. And then the person walks away for whatever reason. They walk away. You know, oh, maybe I still love so-and-so, and and maybe, you know, we'll try again, and all this other stuff. That's not good enough. It's not good enough. It says here, physical violence by an intimate partner, this includes a range of behaviors. And they look at slapping, okay, is definitely, you know, that's abuse. And it shoving, is yes, and shoving is abuse. Pushing right. is abuse, okay. And in Absolutely. some cases, this is, yeah, and in some cases, this is considered uh, domestic violence. And um, the the hand slap, the hand push, results in injury. A lot of times it can. If a if a guy, let's turn that around. You what you were just saying, if the guy is six foot two and the woman is uh, five foot seven or something, whatever, and he hauls off and cracks her, okay, across the face or whatever, um, in the head. That's where I used to get smacked a lot. Um. That can cause all kinds of damage to your brain. I have articles here that talks about, you know, when people are beaten too much. All right. First of all, your brain tries to absorb what's happening, and yet it also shuts down from happening, what's happening, because it's just too much for the brain to Mm -hmm. handle. 
and a lot of times there's injury to the brain. It might be a leaking, uh, things like that, blood leak in, in the brain. Um, children are being taken to the hospital um, many times today, more often than not, okay, with the head injuries. So a lot of times they, I got punched in the head too now that I think about it. Maybe it's why I'm goofy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, it's um, when you get punched in the head, it can do all kinds of damage to your brain. It just simply mm-hmm. does. Yes, it and it doesn't, it doesn't go away. It does not go mm-hmm. away. It says here, I like to go back and forth um, with the uh, stats because I want people to understand, 17.9% of children of all ages have been exposed to physical and intimate partner violence and in life that means 13.6 million children about 3,500 to 4,000 children witness uh, family violence and sometimes fatal 3,500 to 4,000 they witness that Okay, mm. we're, we're just talking about, uh, I believe this is in the United States. Yes, it is. And by the way, this is uh, for children and teens, um, and it's the Coalition Against Domestic Violence. That can be downloaded. I got this off of that. And then um, among high school uh, children, you know, students who dated, 21% of females and 10% of the males experience physical and or sexual dating violence. All right. Now, that's from the National Network to End Domestic Violence. There's all kinds of things you can get off the Internet, you know, and, and it's all current, and this is good. Now, with the housing, and this is something we can talk about, domestic violence is the, the leading cause of homelessness, homelessness, I'm sorry, for women and children. Now, I know this to be true because... When I was working in, in New York City um, with, with the homeless, uh, how many women I saw pushing the carts, okay, the grocery carts, they'd get them from somewhere, and that had all of their, their belongings in it. And there was a tremendous amount of women, you know, that were homeless. I didn't see any children at this park. It was all adults. That doesn't mean they don't exist. I don't know where their kids are, Okay. But they would come out to the trucks that we took into the city and with food and, and clothing, and a lot of it was donated, and then all the other stuff we, we simply bought, you know, like from Walmart or wherever, um, blankets, uh, toothpaste, toothbrushes, um, all the toiletries that they would need. Um, mm-hmm. I worked there most of the winter time. And uh, so we had hats and we had mittens and um, hoodies and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. And, and then, of course, the food. And um, I've spoken about this maybe twice on air because now that organization has been closed down, and I don't know why. But it was so, so needed. It was, um, it was in service for 30 years, Michelle. They would go into the city, okay, and um, we, had, we would make the soup ahead of time. We'd make uh, sandwiches ahead of time. Um, ham sandwiches, uh, uh, turkey sandwiches, and peanut butter and jelly. Some people just wanted peanut butter and jelly. And uh, then we'd have the soup, and we'd have we'd take bundles of uh, fruits and stuff. We'd make up a bag for them, and uh, we'd fill it. And then we had hot chocolate, and we had coffee, and we also had water bottles of water. 
And, and we had crackers, the cracker snacks. You just, you know, buy lots of those uh, packages and throw them in bags, you know, throw maybe three or four in each bag. And those people were so thankful to have a hot meal, and that may not look, I'm saying meal here. To them it was a meal. They wanted to stay mm-hmm. out of the shelters in New York City because there was violence in the shelters. And the violence in the shelters was because they would take the, the shopping carts. There were so many of them, so many women. So, you see, they become homeless. A lot of times they do. Um, they would take their shopping carts, and because there wasn't enough staff, they would, you know, rummage through, you know, carts really fast and, and um, you know, to try and grab things, whatever they saw that they thought that they might want. And that was mm-hmm. horrific. We'd give them soap mm. and, and washcloths and, and cloths and, and uh, you know towels and anything anything that the person needs, all right. And they can go mm. into gas stations, they can go into stores, leave their car though. See, they're taking a chance. They don't like doing that, but um, maybe they push it along the side of the building where someone couldn't see it right away. Run into the bathroom, and, and they would wash their face, their hands, and, and their arms, and, and wherever they could get real quick, like a spit bath in the sink. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Now, we had a panic button in the shelters that I worked in. I, sh- I worked in one. And most of them, all of them have the panic buttons because there can be also an outbreak in the, in the uh, shelters if you're in, in New York City, say, or other urban areas like that. And uh, so that, this is why you have so many homeless people. One of the reasons why you have so many homeless people out on the street because they figure if they have their own little pod tents there, whatever you want to call them, um, they're alone. They they have a little bit of privacy, and um, you know, and they they prefer to be there than to be in the shelter where it's dangerous. Okay, where it's dangerous, and it's dangerous where they're at too. Don't get me wrong, but if they felt actually I, I safer. Raped, you, you do know. You remember ahead. I was raped in the shelter. Yeah. I was yes. raped in a shelter when they had it uh, unisex. It was men and women. I woke up with a man on top of me and mm-hmm. and left that shelter, you know. It can happen. So it's more stricter now, but back then, it, yeah, that was happening a lot, and they had to change everything. Well, they need more help. You see, people get turned off, okay, even even counselors or whatever. They get turned off because um, the because of of what happens in the shelters can happen. Like you were raped, all right, and or or the terrible fighting that can happen because they're trying to get the other person's belongings for God's sake, and then it turns into the domino effect, which is what we used to call it, the domino effect. Um, Two people start to fight, and before you know, those two turn into ten, and then the twenty, and however many. They're all oh, what a riot! And you punish, you push that button real quick, and and hope that the police can get there, um, you know, before somebody gets murdered or whatever. You know. And I think the saddest part of all this was the vets. Now you're a vet, okay? Mm-hmm. But in New York, and and they wouldn't go into the Bronx. Like well, this is where Lori's from is the Bronx. They wouldn't, this this group, even though they were around for all these many, many years, they refused to go into the Bronx. Um, they didn't really like going into Brooklyn, okay? 
So they would uh, stay more, you know, around uh, the theater district area, around those parks there. And believe it or not, there was a lot of homeless in those parks. There were. I'm talking about Central Park and some of the other. There's two other parks, three parks. And, um, you know, they were hidden because, like, you go into uh, Central Park, you can hide yourself behind bushes and all this other stuff. But they would come out when they, they would wait for the trucks, and that was the uh, huge truck for the food, and then the clothing van, and then we had the SUVs, you know, for, for the toiletries, the smaller things. And uh, they would wait for us to come and, and uh, give them things. And we had the midnight crew, which you know I was on. And uh, then we had the morning crew, which you know I wasn't on, okay? <laughs> no. So, so anyway, it, it was, uh, they certainly did try, and they, did, they were successful for around 30 years, the midnight run. And um, then, from what I understand, okay, um, one of the organizations took over, and it totally changed. And I'm talking about Dyfus organization. It totally changed, if this is true. And there was none of this before-time preparation like what we did. There wasn't all the effort put into it. And then, of course, COVID came. So that put an end to an awful lot of things. But the vets were out on the street, okay? These people who served our country, they were out on the street. And they were afraid to cross over to where we were with all that vast amount of homeless people because some had no legs, okay, they're in wheelchairs, and all this other stuff. And, and they were afraid of the people, afraid of the people. So um, we would wait. We wouldn't, you know, take off. There was only one time we took off because they looked like they were going to go the other way. I think they got too scared off. I don't know what happened. But um, they actually met us at the bridge, okay, to go back into New Jersey. And uh, one time they met us by the tunnel. Another time they met us uh, down in, in Harlem River Drive. We go to, you know, the bridges and all that other stuff. And, and um, they met us there. And, um, you know, so that they could get help. They took their wheelchairs and actually went through the Lincoln Tunnel. If you go through the Lincoln Tunnel, if you know anything about New York, of course, Lloyd would know all this. Um, they have an area where you have to walk. You can walk so that you can keep uh, the tunnel, you know, in condition, good condition. And they have, like, doors that open up and, and the experts who work with the electrical system, you know, that there's lighting in there and, and all that other stuff, um, would have a place to walk. Well, these poor people would go up on that area. It was pretty wide. They'd go up on that area, and uh, they would wait for us, and they'd wave us down as we were going home that way, okay, if we went through that way. And um, we would, you know, it's pretty hard to pull over, you know, there. But we would manage to, you know, tell them, in other words, keep going as fast as you can with the wheelchairs and we'll find it a space. And in the space in the tunnel is kind of weird, but we would just simply stop. We would have the van stop because that's what had the uh, food and some clothing. And um, so anyway, people would skirt around. And, you know, they drive fast. Come on, in New Yorkers and New Jerseyans too, we drive fast. We do this. But we we would manage. We'd throw we throw things to them, and and Pennsylvania people too. Is that what you're going to say? No, go ahead. Mm-mm. Okay. So anyway, um, but you know that's what we would do. 
and, and, and feel horrible. Or we would, you know, someone would get out of the van real quick and just put it on that platform that they were, you know, you know, riding on, and has a railing, so uh, and just leave stuff. And then that way we get the heck out of the way, and, and so we don't cause an accident. And, uh, you know, they uh, would pick it up. I guess they'd, uh, you know, here, you have this, you have that, you have this, you have that. You know what I'm saying? They've worked together. And so it's a very, very horrible thing to watch homeless people. So now you look at San Francisco, and what do we have? We have all these homeless people all over the place in these little tents and stuff, whatever you want to call them. And it's more worse than any other city, I believe, California. I think it is worse. Yep. Um, it is. It, it is disgraceful. Don't forget, in New York, okay, we've got the abandoned buildings. I'm not saying they're oh, up to yeah, code. They're not up to code. But they live, they live in them. Yeah, but it's sheltered. Yeah. So, in mm. a sense... New York would have um, uh, a better, it would be a better place to be in is New York rather than to be in, like, San Francisco, okay? Um, they have tried to take over gymnasiums. They've tried all different kinds. And not just for uh, those who come from other countries, but homeless, too. Um, it's a mess. It's a mess. That's what it is. So this is how we're living in our country. And... Um, but then you have those kids. What the heck happens to them? Okay. Um, maybe there's a single-parent mother. She can't, you know, do the rent. She can't keep up with things. She ends homeless. She has children. And then the children are then taken away. They have to be because they need to eat. They need to be taken care of. And, and hopefully, and only hopefully, I say, they, they get what they, they can and need from other organizations. So this is a very rough time. So I get phone calls in the in the evening, and in, it was just at nighttime, but now it's the evening too at times, where people are homeless, mm. and um, and you know they're asking me for help, and and uh, I wish that our organization was still around because the ones in the city, I can always say you know go over there, you'll get fed at least, right? And I do know that New York is using some of those uh, buildings that I was speaking about. Um, you know, to house them, to get them off the streets, because um, it's just too much. It's too much. So all of the stats that we have, okay, of child abuse inside of the home has gone mm-hmm. sky high. We had yes, someone on is. the other night. Yes, we had someone the other on the other night. I wasn't on that show, but I did listen to it later. Who would know? that the the uh, stats have gone sky high and uh that that children for god's sake are are just um walking targets for all different types of things walking targets so when you have kids who are teenagers and 21% of the females and 10% of males experience physical and sexual dating violence even just going out on dates like i mentioned before and domestic violence is the leading cause of homelessness, which we just spoke about. Over 90% of homeless women have experienced severe physical or sexual violence at some point in their lives. 63% were abused by their partners. Okay? Um, on and on it goes. So it's just a horrific thing. 
was from their their yeah, parties. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It yeah. is. So what Absolutely. did they go through? They developed cognitive issues. Um, kids especially um, have decreased IQs. Um, number of episodes and severity of, uh, of abuse behavior uh, witnessed, which we've spoken about, was associated mm-hmm. even greater in the decrease of the IQ. I didn't know that one. Um, and it's, the PTS level is just so horrible and horrific of what people go to. They suffer, and this is from the Journal of Psychology, okay, with the mental health issues, whether it be children or children, then adults, okay? And they, by the way, it says stats show that 98% of abducted uh, children who are taken do not survive beyond the first 30 days. <clears throat> and maybe those, maybe those kids mm-hmm. are the organ ones, you know what I'm saying? They take their organs or something? I don't know, it doesn't say. It doesn't mm-hmm. go into, um, it doesn't go into uh, you know, the history of it. What's this? 877-928-3221. If you're experiencing mm-hmm. all kinds of psychiatric disorders and, and have a history right. of childhood sexual trauma. Yeah, I'll give that number again. It, all right, if you're a person um, who is mentally ill, maybe you're bipolar or, or maybe um, schizophrenic or uh, whatever it could be, okay, because where I worked, it was everything. All right, mental health. 20 to 40% of people with psychiatric disorders, have a history of childhood sexual trauma. All right? 20 to 40%. And if you're a person out there and and, uh, you suffer from emotional pain of childhood sexual trauma, and that long, it lasts forever, okay, emotional pain, and it also affects the brain, all right, Um, and, and your health. We know this. It affects the health. It affects your brain and the cognitive function. But that number, if you're out there and you're alone, or if you are even living in a household where you feel like you're alone, um, you can call the 877-928-3221 number, and that number right there will help you with your issues. You may not be in the same area, but they have a list of phone numbers and uh, for different areas all over the United States where you can call and they can get you some kind of help, okay? Now, in the Journal of Psychology, this is what we suffer from. We, the survivors, we suffer from anxiety, depression, eating disorders, PTSD, that's a broad span there, but post-traumatic stress disorder, panic attacks, panic disorder, which, of course, I had, Substance abuse, schizophrenia. They would, now it's come through. All right, they were deciding whether people can actually become schizophrenic. Um, you know, who suffer terrible abuse. That could be in a marriage. It could be, um, it could be in, in childhood. You can be a child, or you can be an adult. Yeah. And they were looking at that, Michelle and Lori, for some mm-hmm. years. And now the DSM-5, that would be the number five after DSM-5, they're looking at it really hard, and they're starting to decide that people can actually become schizophrenic. Yes, most of the time it runs in the family, okay? 
But what happens with us, now they're looking into our DNA, okay? A child who is horribly abused can't change the DNA of a person. Who would think? All right? Um, And they're they're not 100% sure, but they're 85% sure that it can actually have something to do with your DNA, and I'm going to look into that. Okay, Um, you can also suffer from DID, that's dissociation disorder. That's where you have, like in the old days, they used to say the multiple personality disorders. Antisocial personality disorders, sleep deprivation, hello, disorder, um, self-harm, which you mentioned, and suicidal behavior. Now, this is a given. This is a given. And, um, you know, it's, it's a terrible yeah, so, thing that yeah, we go through. Yeah. No suicide for me. What did you say about the suicide? I can't hear you. Spell it. Spell the words. Oh, suicidal ideations? No, spell the word suicide. Oh, S-U-I-C-I-D-E, suicide. Yeah, thank you. So my mind went, went blank. blank. Yeah, yeah. And, and that turns into, if not, you know, uh, if a person is suicidal, because I, I caught kids who tried to commit suicide right in the act, whether it be in, in uh, detention center, I caught two, and and then over at um, Greystone Psychiatric, um, when I say kids, they were in their twenties. They took the children out finally. They had like you had to be like eighteen or twenty to get in there, or whatever. Uh, I caught two over there also, and um, but you know they sit and and they 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 think about committing suicide all the time. I went through that. I did. When my husband was acting out so badly, I mean my first husband, um, and I was waiting for him to come home from the service thinking that my life would change, okay? And then he came home and turned out to be a monster. I made a mistake because nine months after I met him, we were married. That's not long enough to know a person. It just isn't, okay? They can put on a good show for nine months. And, and when you go over to his house, it was, I've said this one before, it was like walking into the Brady Bunch house. Mother's out in the kitchen making dinner. Father's sitting reading the newspaper, right? We had newspapers back then. Um, older sister is uh, playing Ring Around the Rosie with her daughter. And we walk in and everything is lovely, okay? A type of house that a lot of us don't know about, okay? So you think to yourself, well, this is the way that it should be. But they were putting on a facade, too, okay? They were putting on a little show. I found my my father-in-law's, ex-father-in-law's. I found his papers over there in Greystone. They sent me downstairs to Mm -hmm. find some records, and I Mm -hmm. found his name. Holy crap. I was so blown away. I'll never forget that. Wow. So you see, it can affect all the parts of the body, our brain, right? And and you know the way we feel about ourselves. So that's our you know our self-esteem, depression, eating disorders, um, 
I like candy an awful lot. I don't know. <laughs> Is that a disorder? It might be. Okay. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, panic disorder, substance abuse, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. DID, antisocial personality disorder, um, sleep disorder, self-harm, and suicidal behavior, which turns into ideations. So when we talk about on this show, when we talk about um, the abuses that we go through, when we talk about that, um, these are all the things that can happen to us, and it's no laughing matter. You know, it just simply isn't. And, you know, we should, uh, you know, when I tell people, okay, I was abused as a kid and all this other stuff, some of them are very receptive, they want to hear about it. Other people say, oh, no, 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 I don't want to hear about it, and and, um, you shouldn't be working with it. (laughs) That's what I hear. How can you do that? How can you do that? How can you possibly do that? So it's like there's nothing in between. Either people are with you or they're against you, all right? They don't want to hear about it, and it makes it very difficult. By the way, I just found here, brain health is also affected and affects structure of the brain and volume of the brain, okay? Uh, The prefrontal cortex lobe is is affected. There's so many here. Superior, the corpus, uh, whatever that is, and um, there's other two. I was always calling it, when I was a kid, I called it the hippopotamus. <laughs> that's not right. It's a, it's a hippocampus, but that's a, a different part of the brain, all right? So all these different parts of the brain are affected, and then also our hormones can be affected. Hormonal imbalances can be affected as well. The estrogen levels, the testosterone, that can be affected. And then, of course, again, Depression, this all sets in because we have these problems with, you know, with our own hormones and everything. Depression, anxiety, uh, memory lapses, memory problems, and then other issues. So if anyone wants to hear about what we were talking about tonight, mm-hmm. you go and you download, you go download this because uh, it had a wealth of information and... Um, You know, children and domestic violence statistics had that, and then also what, um, and different uh, organizations that run that, which is all there, and I've read them off. But, um, like, there's ncbi.nim.nih.gov. See, that's through the government. And that's talking about what children witness when their mother's partners. And it usually is. I mean, it's catching up. They're catching up with the guys, you know, and, and the women, too, you know, with, with little different stats. But um, when you witness all of that abuse in the home, it breaks your spirit. Michelle, why don't you talk about breaking your spirit? About breaking your spirit? Your yeah. spirit can absolutely, your spirit can absolutely be broken. Easily, if you give all of your stuff to a person and you let your guards down and you trust. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> too soon. You know, too soon. Um, a person, a man will, especially a predator, they'll will you in. They'll, they'll, they'll say all the things that they know you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And from all the experiences that I went through, from me, Carol, 
I, I'm an action woman. Action speaks louder than words. You can you can talk all day about what you want or you like me or this, this, that, and the, or the other. But if your actions don't show that, it those words are worthless to me. It's like being dropped on the on the ground. I don't care. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a strong woman today. You you can't miss me with that. You can't come at me with that. I I, I just refuse, you know, to um. And they're, and they're always going to be signs. See, that's why you got to be careful. If you're a woman that's lonely and desperate, that, that, that the perpetrator, they'll feed off that. They'll sense that. And then they'll will you in, roll you with words and, and you know, gifts just to, just to bring, you know, will you in. And then the true person will come out. So I always that's tell right. a person, get to know a person first. Listen mm-hmm. to the things they say and make sure you register what they say in your mind. Because if they're not right and if they're not for real, at the end it's going to come out. It's going to come out. But you have That's to take, right. you know, I, I would say to any woman or a man, take your time in getting to know someone. Don't be in no rush. And your spirit will let you know. You'll know. You'll know in time whether they're the right one or not. Don't jump into relationships because half of the time you ain't going to know what you jumped into until it's too late, you know? Yeah, I'm notorious for that. Well, let's, let's see what the Lori has to say with all of this. Go ahead, Lori. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's the most interesting show um, that I've heard. I mean, that I've heard here. So all of them are interested, but this one really glued me tonight because uh, you hit on so many uh, informative uh, items that actually people should know about and probably don't, you know, unless they tune in here because this is the wealth of knowledge. And with Michelle and your experience, I, uh, I mean, I listen to every word you say and I kind of learn as I go with you. So what you're doing, the way it's going, fighting against a war that we seem to be losing is going to be the only way out. So you're on mm-hmm. you're on the right place, you know, and the people that okay. eventually are are going to get out, you know, it's the the support on the other side which you provide that would be why. I mean, I can understand okay. when you say they they can't or they go back or for some other reason because they've been in all different you know situations. But what you do, uh, I find to be, you know, amazing, totally amazing. It is. It is. Thank you. I mean, mean, uh, Carol does the same thing. We just. Well, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Listen here. Now you listen to me, okay? Tonight, Mm -hmm. I was going to let you speak because Michelle, you and I have done a lot of the same work. That's true, and you continue to do it. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, you've been places, too, where I haven't. And, and I want to learn about that, too. So, therefore, yes, of course, I know about the safe houses. Yes, I know about the shelters. Yes, I know about family, um, what families do to each other, all right, and, and mm-hmm. with the children and how they suffer. And um, having all those stats right in front of me was a very good thing, and, and I, I, I wrote them down. I actually wrote them down. So I would have to go back and forth. I can't leave the studio once I'm in the studio. If I do that, then I can lose the show. 
So that means a lot of handwriting, honey, okay? And the apple behind mm-hmm. me that Michelle gave me, my, my Michelle, um, is working now, and I'm getting the, um, so I'll have two, I won't have to do so much writing because I'll have it printed out on the screen. You see what I'm saying? And that'll be easier yeah. for me. But um, I, I have papers all over this place in my office. You can hardly walk because I, I do so much, you know, research and write it. But um, mm-hmm. the point is um, people have to know that there is a way out. I mean, when I was with Marty, I can talk about both of them. They're deceased, and, and this is everyday, Marty. It's every day for every people, okay? A lot of people go through what we went through. There is mm-hmm. help for us, okay, if you're being in a situation where there's domestic violence. And what I used to do when I lived in, in Dover, um, I made myself, and I told other people to do this, people I'd come in contact with or where I'd work, whatever, mm-hmm. um, to make themselves a safe package. That's what I call it, a safe package at the safe house, okay? <laughs> Look, mm-hmm. um, there's violence out there everywhere and in every walk of life. So when I realized that my husband was getting, you know, to the point where it could be very volatile and even dangerous, um, I still had kids at home and stuff. I see, things were hard because when you have children, it makes it harder. And that's why a lot of women go back, okay? Now, um, but to make yourself a kit, so I had a duplicate driver's license made. I remember doing this. I remember having the kids' birth certificates, copies, and I, you know, took the originals. But I had copies in the house, too, um, in case I did come back for whatever reason. I, I wanted to make sure that they had birth certificates. Um, and then on top of it all, um, money. I would stick money into this package so that I would, you know, not be without money. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had a car that was very, very rickety and old, but I didn't care because it was still running. It had a hole. No lie. It had a hole. And, and where you put your feet for the gas pedal and, and the brake, it had a hole. It was not. It was a dangerous car, and that was Marty's mother's car. And I said, for God's sake, at least put a piece of metal across it or something. Do something. And right. uh, uh, gee, thanks. You know, he was driving around a good car. See, this is what they do, isn't it? Okay, they have the nice cars. They have this. They have that. And and uh, then the women, because we're their victim, we don't have hardly what we need, okay? So he did put a piece of metal, I don't know where he got it from, and he screwed it in so that I wasn't getting fumes. Think of the fumes that were coming into the car, all right? So um, I made this package. I put it together, and I, I had extra set of keys. I had, you know, extra set of car keys and um, and house keys. I made sure I had that, and um, so that if anything really got bad, I could just plain take off, all right? And what I did was, so that it wasn't in the house, but I knew it was in a safe place, was uh, Mm -hmm. we had a shingle on on the house that was loose, but it wasn't going to fall, okay? And uh, I knew that it wasn't going to fall. And it was one of those long, one of the first shingles they had on houses. Not shingles, that's not the right one. Um, eh, I don't know, I can't think of the name of it. But anyway, it was wide planks that go, that go across the house. What do you call them, Michelle? They're made out of metal or they're made out of wood now? Um, um, I know <laughs> I can't you can't think of the You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, but I just can't, I can't think of I can't of think of the name mm-hmm. of it. That's stupid, I can't think. Yeah. 
Hey, maybe I'm in that one part there, just reading with the memory. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so, mm-hmm. um, but what I was able to do was push this um, this this piece that went across, and um, and put that bag up in there. It was made out of plastic. I had a plastic, you know, my freezer bag, and um, mm-hmm. I had a rubber band around the money. I had been doing this for a while, so I had a nice wad of money, all right, and I had it right. together, and. Um, so that if I ever felt like I had to run in the middle of the night and my son was getting older, he finally left home. My daughter was still there, but she wasn't there. She was taken off at times. I didn't blame her. And she had friends and, and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, she got in with her friends and, and did well that way. And then finally she stayed and met her boyfriend and then she met her husband after that. But I used it one night. And we all piled in the car, the kids and I, and we took off. We took off. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, the show's over. But anyway, the point is I got out of that situation. I got out of that situation because I was prepared. So I tell people always to prepare themselves so that if they have to run, they have everything they need, all the paperwork, the keys, and money. Right. So do that. That's if you're right. in a volatile situation, do that. And know know that there is help for you at a safe house. And you can call Michelle. She's on the contact list, okay, on the contact list of the website. That's www.nasca.org, nasca.org. And you'll see the mm-hmm. contact list. And um, I'm on there. Michelle's on there. Lori, I don't know if you're on there, but you should be. But, you know, there's people on there. And um, But certainly get a hold of Michelle because she can help guide you to a safe house and you can get your life Absolutely. in order. There I don't care what city and state. I can get you to one of your city or state. Mm-hmm. You see, it, it, it's very, very important to have these safe houses. Because people need it. So anyway, the show is over. It went very fast. And um, I'm so thankful that you were able to make it on, Michelle, because I wanted that information out to the people, okay? <laughs> Glad that I was here to help. Amen. Yeah, well, amen and hallelujah to that because people need help, okay, especially today. So everybody, you know, um, I'll be back tomorrow. Lori and I will be here. And um, we'll have another topic. Um, I'm going to come on tomorrow to listen in. Okay, good. And tomorrow will be a little bit lighter. Tonight was the heavy night. I wanted this out. Tomorrow it will be a little more nasty <laughs> stuff that we usually deal with. But I'm going to get off and uh, and close this down. So yeah. God bless you. Love you and both. Thank you for and coming I will on. See you yes. All right, we will All right. be here. Good night, everybody. Okay. Good night. Good night. Good night. Love Talk Radio.